Well, you know, Mark and I plan the worship services out months in advance, um, but God often likes to do things that surprise us that we could never plan. So, Mark, I don't know if it hit you. It didn't hit me until this service. But, you know, here, one of the last songs of the service we're singing, He Washed It White as Snow. And so let, let's just allow today to minister to us in, in a special way, because if you're in Christ, if you've trusted Him as Savior, when you drive around today and look all around at the glory and the beauty of this blizzard, what you are seeing is a picture of your own soul, which has been washed in God's sight, and it's that white and pure. Let this day minister to you in a special way, because that's what the Word of God says. Uh, So praise God for that. Well, we're going to get into the Bible today. Um, We're going to talk about what it means to be an example or a role model of faith. Uh, So share this with me, all right? Hit me with it. When you were growing up, who was your role model? Who did you want to be like? Come on, just shout a name out there. Louder, I can't hear you. You're too shy. I need a name. Who is your role model? Spider-Man. Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. Who? James T. Kirk. James Tiberius Kirk. I love it. I love it. Uh, when I was growing up, my role models included Hulk Hogan, John Bon Jovi, and Walter Payton. If I could wrestle like Hulk Hogan, sing like Bon Jovi, and run like Walter Payton, I'd be set in life, right? I can't do any of those things. I turned out okay, but those were my role models, right? Uh, you know, role models captivate your attention because you see something in them that you would like to see in some form in yourself. You look up to them, you admire them, and you want to imitate them, uh, which is why I did wrestle like Hulk Hogan, although in the confines of my own home, right? Uh, I did try and sing like Bon Jovi, though it was a terror to those around me, and running like Walter Payton, well, that never really happened. But Okay, now let me ask you this. Who were your spiritual role models growing up? Who were the people in your church or in your home that you looked up to? The people who demonstrated godliness to you in a special way. Maybe maybe it was the way they knew their Bible or taught it. Maybe it was the way they prayed. Uh, Maybe it was the way they fathered their children or the the way she talked to her husband or the way, who knows. But who were the spiritual role models when you were growing up? Maybe you didn't have any. Maybe you had bad ones. Maybe you were privileged enough to have them in your home and in your church. Well, God wants you to have spiritual role models. In fact, He wants you to become a spiritual role model to other people around you, to a watching world, to the next generation, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants to so transform you that when other people look into your life and see you, They see godliness, and there's something about that that they want to imitate. There's something about that that they look up to. You see, God doesn't just want you to sit and get. He wants you to see His truth change and transform real people. He wants the church to be filled with godly role models. He wants you to be one. I can tell you my spiritual role models 
My, my first senior pastor when I got saved in college was Pastor Scott Nichols. I ended up eventually coming on staff at his church. He led me to Christ. He baptized me. He married me and, and Lauren. Uh, and, and he was so influential in showing me what it meant to be a shepherd, to be a leader, to be a pastor. Um, and then I can tell you Pastor James at the main campus Harvest just poured into me and a bunch of other guys who were going out to plant churches. And he taught us about preaching. He taught us about leadership. He taught us about discipleship. I can tell you when I was at Moody Bible Institute, my professors, Dr. Thrasher, drastically altered my prayer life by his example. I can tell you Dr. J always had his mind in this world processing what's really going on in our day. I can tell you uh, Walt McCord, who just managed to liven up his, his talks with so many illustrations and connections to real life. And when I was a new believer, I couldn't get enough of Ravi Zacharias, just hearing him talk about the gospel and share his faith and model evangelism for us. I mean, these men formed me and shaped me, and they showed me what godliness looks like. And hey, God wants you, he wants me, to become a role model to fellow believers into a watching world. Let's find out how to do that, but first let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the glory of this morning. Thank you that you washed us white as snow, as only you can. We already are perfect by your blood in your presence, and yet you are perfecting us from now until you return. Grow us to become stories of your grace. Grow us to become examples of your character. Do a work in us that others see, that others desire to have happen in their own hearts. Make us examples. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to 1 Timothy 4. Some sermons kind of have one one idea, and we just kind of drill down on that one thing all sermon long. Uh, This one actually is more like a checkup on five different things. The overall point is how to be a role model and example to others, right? But there's five different, we'll call them the five stars, a five-star example. Um, And we're supposed to, from time to time, get a checkup on a series of things. Boom, 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 boom. And, And maybe all of them won't catch your heart, but one of them will snag your heart. And you'll feel like, man, God's really pushing on me in that area. So I'd be really alert to what God has for you this morning, but we are going to cover a lot of ground. In chapter 4, verse 11... Uh, The Apostle Paul, writing to young Pastor Timothy, he says this, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We're only going to camp on these two verses today, but did you hear the five things he just said? Set an example in speech, in life, or, or conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We're going to spend some time on each one of those, Uh, He kicks it off by saying, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one look. Here's what was going on in Ephesus. You had young Pastor Timothy, maybe in his upper 30s. Do you know any young pastors, perhaps in their upper 30s, who maybe stand up in front of you and tell you what to think and how to live your life? Maybe you can relate. See, and then, Fred, and then... Then there were these older, wiser gentlemen, some of whom were having trouble listening to who does he think he is, Timothy. Who do you think you are, Timothy? You think you know a thing about life? You think you should be up there talking to these people? You think your name's going to get in the Bible? You think they're going to write two books that are named after you in the Bible? Sit down and let the older men handle this. Well, the Apostle Paul said, no, don't let that happen. 
And let me just say, I love the older, wiser men in our church. I've learned so much from the men in our church who are seasoned men of God. They've got life experience. They've got personal uh, stories of the Lord's movement in their life that spans decades that I treasure and cherish. But I've got to tell you, the Bible says that if you are older, if you are established in the faith, this is a warning you have not aged out of hearing new things from the Lord. And you have not aged out of letting even perhaps a younger person bring the Word of God to you so that you can actually grow further in the faith. There's a danger of growing proud of your age. See, and pride of age, because I'm older, I know better, can deafen your ears to the truth, right? Uh, and, And here's why pride of age is wrong, because this book is a lot older than you. Because our God is ageless and eternal, and if He has something to share with you, He can say it through anyone, a child, if He wants to. You've never aged out of learning the next thing about the Lord, right? And, and unfortunately, in Ephesus, there were older men who were no longer teachable. There were older men who were no longer humble. And here the younger guy had to get up and say, uh, everyone, everyone, let me talk to you about humility. You see, they had some things to learn from this young pastor, Timothy. If they were going to be examples to others in the faith, they first had to learn how to be impacted by the truth themselves. So foster in your own heart a humble, listening spirit. Be teachable and open to feedback. It says here in verse 11, command and teach these things, meaning they arrive as incendiary rounds trying to penetrate even the wise heart. It says in verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. Then it says, but set the believers an example. Let's write that down first. Do you want to be an awesome role model of faith? Write this down. Number one, live in line with the truth. It says says in conduct. Set an example in conduct. And it just frankly says set an example. So we're going to first talk about what it means to set an example in general, just in your life. And conduct is probably the broadest word used there, so we're going to that one first. What does it mean to live in line with the truth and just generally to have a life that is conducted so that it is a good positive example to those around us. How do I know? It's really important that you figure this out. Philippians 3.17 says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You're supposed to be able to spot, ah, ah, she is setting an example of faith and godliness and I'm supposed to watch her. And find out how it works. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You're supposed to look at a leader. Hey, small group leaders. Hey, flock leaders. Hey, elders, deacons. Others are supposed to look into your life, hear the word that you've said, see it lining up in your life. And they're supposed to consider the outcome After you've been obedient and you've walked by faith, what's come from that, others are supposed to consider the outcome of your way of life. And they're supposed to then be like you. They're supposed to imitate you. Well, believers will imitate their leaders. The same way parents, you know, our kids will imitate us. Parents, have your kids ever acted like you? 
in a surprising way? Have your kids ever said something you say? Have your kids ever... Maybe it only happens in my home, but when our kids were younger, my wife Lauren did such an awesome job of parenting, you know, the, the younger children. You know, our kids are older now, so it's a little more sophisticated, but, you know, Cassie, our middle child, when she would get, you know, sideways about something, what Lauren would do is she'd, Lauren would kneel down and she'd go up to Cassie and she'd say, sweetie, look at my face. You need to stop doing that because you're hurting the puppy, Okay. You can't do that. So let's be nice and and let's behave, all right? Well, one day Lauren was walking downstairs and she saw Cassie and apparently one of Cassie's dollies had misbehaved. So Cassie was sitting there with her dolly and Cassie looked her dolly in the face and said, Look at my face! And Lauren looked mortified and she said, It's not the way I parent you. If you're going to act like me, do it the right way. People are going to start talking. Children will imitate their parents, right? If you admit it, you say things your parents said to you that you thought you'd never say, that you swore you'd never say, and you said it. I'm just like her. You imitate your parents. Spiritually, the same is true. Believers, you'll imitate your leaders. You'll learn how they talk. You'll learn how they live, how they pray, how they share their faith. So leaders, our, our uh, flock will imitate us. We're setting an example. How do I know if I'm setting a great example in life? Like in the, most, in the broadest sense of the term, if I'm setting a great example. Well, at Harvest, we have a very clearly defined um, pattern of discipleship. Write this down. Live in line with the truth. Worship Christ. Worship Christ. Uh, Showing up Sunday to sing to the Lord and hear from His Word is one of the foundational disciplines of the Christian life. Congratulations! You've done it today. And everyone who didn't show up should be pouring condemnation on themselves for sitting at home sipping hot chocolate while you are here. We give a lot of grace on days like today. But the truth is this, um, the, the person or the couple or the family that kind of makes Sunday morning church a really inter, intermittent, spotty thing just can't get traction in other areas of their spiritual life. You know, if, if you're like the once or twice a month, you know, we take summers off, uh, you, you're, you're not going to move forward quickly and frankly, you're not setting a great example to the watching world. Uh, But those who make it a commitment, 52 Sundays a year, if I'm healthy and I'm in town, I'm there. That's that's one of the first things you can do to actually take your spiritual growth seriously and set an example. You know, your kids shouldn't have to wake up Sunday and say, are we going to church today? That should be settled. And that's what it means to live in line with the truth. Worshiping Christ is one of the first fundamental things we do together. Next, walk with Christ. Walk with Christ. Um. You know, there are people in our church who are growing in their walk with Christ in phenomenal ways. Their own personal spiritual growth is amazing. And if you haven't done it already, write down your 2015 spiritual growth goals and share them with someone else. Or you're going nowhere, right? Write it down and tell it to your small group leader or somebody you trust. Right? Here's my goals, hold me accountable. And their walk is moving forward, but you see, you can't grow together. So your walk with Christ is also gathering in small groups and moving forward in community. And there are people who are finally pressing into community, 
finally opening up about how life is truly going, finally asking for encouragement and support and love. And guess what? Their walk is going forward. That's setting a great example. Next, work for Christ. Living in line with the truth is fundamentally worshiping Him, walking with Him together with others, and working for Christ. Those are the biggies. And if you're leaving one of those three out, there's something deficient about your walk, your work, your worship. And when you do these three things, you're showing other people. You're showing your family. You're showing your spouse. You're showing a watching world what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. I saw something amazing this morning. I was in the gym after the first service walking around, and I saw two little rugrats standing by the window. And, I, and uh, this is, uh, these are a couple of kids who I'm just getting to know. And I was like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're watching our dad. I was like, where's your dad? So check it out. I took video, and I, I brought it up. Check this out. Hey, who's outside? My dad. Your dad? What's he doing? Parking. He's serving in the snow? He's got parking duty. What an example he's setting for you guys. Why aren't you out there right now? Go get a shovel. Yeah, they're sitting in the warmth watching dad do all the work. That's Enrique Pacheco. He's out there on parking just serving you guys to make sure the lot is in decent condition. And what are his sons doing? What's dad doing? They see it. He's setting an awesome example for them, right? And they're watching it. They're taking, oh, this is what a Christian does. They're seeing it. They're watching it. So live in line with the truth. Worship Christ. Walk with Christ. Work for Christ. Get those fundamental things online so that you can show what it means to be a follower of Christ. Then, so it says this. It says, set an example in conduct. I chose that first because that's the broadest command. But then it says, Command and teach these things in verse 11. That's verbal. And then it says, set an example what? In speech. So now we're talking about our words. Write this down. Number two, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Our words have to line up with what we believe. And command means order or charge and teach what? True doctrine. Uh, It should happen in the church. It should happen in the home. That the truth is going out. A lot of false teaching in Ephesus The challenge here in this book isn't necessarily clear up your potty language, right? Like make sure you don't, you know, joke in a naughty way. In other books that comes up. But here, the challenge in 1 Timothy is teach what is right and do it with confidence. Bring the word to the people. One of our pillars here at Harvest is proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. And when you go to a church, they've already made a decision what they're going to do with this book. Sometimes they don't even open it. Sometimes they do, but you never even see it. Sometimes a verse flickers across the screen and is taken down very quickly so as to not offend people who maybe are not ready to hear what God has to say. See, but we call ourselves a vertical church. We're here for God. We say what God wants us to say. And we think God's got some things that He wants to say to us when we gather. So we preach it boldly without apology. It happens in our youth ministry. It happens in our kids' ministry. It happens in our women's ministry. This book gets taught verse by verse. It's in our DNA. We have to speak the truth. We have to do it in love. When the Bible is open, it says here, command and teach these things. God's people are supposed to be receptive to it, right? Receptive to it. You're supposed to, your ears, when God's word is open, should flop open like Dumbo ears. Ready to receive it. Check this out. You know, you know this famous elephant, don't you? There's Dumbo. And when God's word is open, your ears should look like that. 
Your ears should get so big, so wide, so receptive that all of what God has to say is loudly proclaimed straight to your own soul. But God's people don't do that. You know what happens too often? The older you get in the faith, the more you become a connoisseur of God's Word. You want the finer Scripture. You want the better meal. You want the prime cut steak. So you find the teacher you like. And you find the topic you like. And then, oh, oh, no one teaches God's word like she does. As if, like a fine wine. Oh, oh, I just love the way that she makes it taste. I can only truly be impacted when it's her who's speaking to my soul. Or when it's him who's talking in accordance with my theology that fits my... And you become this, like, stuck-up Christian. Opinionated, mouse-eared Christian who only lets such a small amount of God's Word pass through to your soul. And that's not maturity. The older you get, the bigger your floppy elephant ears should become. And it doesn't matter who opens this book. When this book cracks open, you are like, God, shout it to me! doesn't matter who's speaking. There's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. That's true maturity. Bigger ears. Speak the truth in love. It should happen in the church, but listen, it should also happen in the home. And let me just challenge you. Hey, hey, fathers, get the book open in your home. Speak truth to your children. And do it when times are good and do it when times are bad. Do it when God provides and the sun is out. Do it when you're going through the dark valley and you can't even see the next day ahead of you. But what do Christians do when a crisis comes? What do you do when your business is in a free fall? What do you do when your money is running out? What do you do when your son's marriage is failing or your daughter is pregnant? What do you do when the test results are worse than you thought? You run to the Bible and speak what is true to your family. Too often, fathers run away from the Bible and keep the book closed when their family needs it the most. you got to get the book open. you got to tell your family, listen, 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 God is good. He hears us. He's right here now. He will provide for us. He's made promises to us. He's never going to leave us. He will always prove faithful. You've got to say it to your family and mean it. Speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. Do you want to be a great example? Do you want to be a role model, a five-star role model? Live in line with the truth. Speak the truth in love. Number three, write this down. Love others Humbly and sacrificially. Love others humbly and sacrificially. It says, verse 12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, and now in love. Okay, I'm going to say something that's really important. Maybe the most important thing I'll say this morning. You ready? Nothing displays spiritual maturity more than love. I didn't even get one amen. I'm going to say it again. Nothing displays spiritual maturity more than love. Nothing displays spiritual maturity more than love. Knowledge doesn't. Been through that next K. Arthur Bible study, own commentaries, have a Bible degree. I know the truth. Nothing displays spiritual maturity more than love. This guy knows a thing or two. Maybe you think spiritual maturity is all about 
knowledge. If I could get that cap and gown and others can know what I know, then I'll be more mature than I was before. Eh. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Sometimes people think, you know, spiritual maturity is all about doing things for the church. Oh, I've been a deacon. I've served as an elder. I've led mission trips. I've done things for God, so look up to me. These people here are getting ready to work hard. I don't know what they're about to do, but look at those giant tires. I don't know if they're about to move them or lift them or roll in them, or I don't even know, but they're about to do some hard work. Maybe you think that's what spiritual maturity is all about. I work and work and work and work, and and so I mature. But nothing shows spiritual maturity more than love. Maybe you think it's giftedness, like, oh, if I could just sing like him, or play, play the piano like her, or if I could just teach like that person, if I, have like, if I have like this gift of being somebody that other people will sit down and listen, and then my talent will really show how mature I am. No. No. You want to really showcase your spiritual maturity? Learn how to love other people. You want to really become a spiritual leader in this church? Learn how to care for other people. Love is number one. It's the supreme Christian virtue. The strength and depth of your relationships proves your maturity like nothing else. You've got to love others humbly and you've got to love others sacrificially. How are your relationships? How do you do at resolving conflict? How are you at befriending new people to the church or checking in on those who are in need? How important is it to you to salvage a relationship that's gone bad? Or freshen up a relationship that's gotten stale? It's love that shows your maturity more than anything else. In the book of 1 Timothy, when when it talks about love, it really is focusing first on your immediate family, your parents, your siblings, your children. So write this down, love your family. If you're going to love others humbly and sacrificially, if you're going to set a great example, hey, first question, are you in a good place with your parents? Are you in a good place with your parents? This is a good time for our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, our college students to really put those Dumbo ears on and listen up. Hey, hey, if you're at war with your parents, you're at war with your God. You can't sing those songs to the Lord and come to youth group and be all impressed and, and, then, and then make it look like you're walking the walk and go to camp and, and you're at war with your parents and you're at war with your God. And you have to learn to love them and respect them and trust them. Really, you go through three phases of relating to your parents, right? You obey them and then when you move out, you forgive them and then as you grow older, you repay them. Obey, forgive, repay. Sometimes you get stuck on that middle one. Parents aren't perfect. But let me just ask you this. Are you log jammed with where you should be with your parents? Do you feel the need to pray your way toward a better reconciliation with your folks? Do you you feel the need to somehow prayerfully ask the Lord to improve the love that you have for your folks? Uh, Because it starts in your home. Um, where, where was that verse again? Uh, you know, if a man doesn't provide for his own family, he's worse than an obli- Where was that again? First Timothy. It's that in-home love, the provision of love for your children and children for your parents that starts off the Christian love that you should show for others. Maybe you say you grew up in a weird family. 
Maybe it wasn't even a Christian family. All right, there's a lot of weirder families out there than yours. Check this out. At least you didn't grow up in that family. They got all their pets on that bike. Your mom and dad didn't force you into that family picture. That's a weirder family than whatever you grew up in. I don't know. Maybe your family did hurt you or disappoint you, but the love that God wants you to show, the example he wants you to set, has to start with your own family. Are you in a good place with your parents? Are you in a good place with your kids? Have you settled for armistice? Or are you going for peace and vibrant love? Are you going for that? And Are you seeing your family members who are in need and doing something about that? If you're not, you can talk about love all you want, but you've got a dislocated shoulder. It's like like you're trying to love other people, but this primary relationship is dislocated and your example is completely wrecked by it because it's supposed to start in the home. Write this down too. Love your church family. Love others humbly and sacrificially and love your family. Love your church family. Um, The Lord intends for you to build deep, mature relationships with those people who are in this room right now. Um, When I say love, I don't mean do something charitable for a person who's living halfway across the world. That counts. That's not the type of love we're being challenged on right now. When I say love, I don't mean help a stranger on the street. I don't mean Remember your coworker's birthday. Those are all great things, but that's not the kind of love that's being talked about right now. It's not that, you know, isolated charity. It's not that random act of kindness. It's knowing the person who's sitting right down the road from you, caring about their life and helping them as they make their way through it. That's the love we're talking about. And um, listen, the Lord intends for you to build relationships with your church family. Uh, we, of course, primarily want to help you feel loved in your small group. Um, and, and, hey, if you've been around Harvest for four, five, six months, you've got to get into a small group. That is the only way we can truly make you feel loved. That's the only way, the only place where we can know you, where we can care what we know, care about you, and where we can actually help you in a meaningful way. Uh, that's how we deliver the family love in this church, is in small groups. Um, And if you're not in a small group, there's already a deficit. There's a distance that we really can't cover. We can't know you. We can't care. We can't help because you haven't made yourself available to that. So if you feel like, man, I've been around this church for a while and I just feel like nobody knows me, get into a small group. I I don't know if anybody cares about getting into a small group. Nobody's helping me get into a small group. We say we're not a church of small groups. We're a church, or we say we're not a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups. Small groups is our main discipleship plan. And what we're going for is a community of people who are enjoying the spiritual unity that God has already given us. Hey, do you know you don't create spiritual unity? God's already done that. When you were saved, you were connected to the body of Christ. All right? So you're just deciding what to do with that unity. You're already tied together to every other believer who's around you. But are you enjoying that relationship? Are you developing that relationship? Uh, You see, uh, the unity is already taken care of. It's what you do with it that matters. You know, if you take two cats and tie them by the tail and throw them over a clothesline, they're connected, but they're not happy about it. And often Christians who are connected in Christ aren't happy about it, but you're connected. So love your church family. Pour into one another. 
Uh, my son Jared's in second grade, and in his second grade class, they do this thing called bucket fillers. A bucket filler in his class is where you can write a little note of encouragement, and then you go up to the name of the other student you want to encourage, and you put it in their bucket. And then they read it, and it's like, oh, dear Joe, you're a great friend, and you're good at football. Sign so-and-so. And, so. and it, it fills their bucket, right? So it, bucket filler. Well, one day, Jared thought it would be funny to write a bucket filler note to one of the girls in his class. And so here's what it said. It said, dear so-and-so, you're nice, and you're my friend, so kiss my butt. We got a note home about that one. Your son thought this would fill so-and-so's bucket, but she wasn't really too happy about it. And we tried to talk to her. We were like, what were you thinking? He said, I thought she would think it was hilarious. We're like, it didn't fill her bucket. It got you in trouble. Now our buckets are filled with anger for you. Hey, in the church, we're supposed to be Fill in one another's buckets in a way that really, truly does help. We're supposed to be pouring things into each other's lives that just lifts us up and makes us more encouraged. And that happens in the small group. So listen, if you feel like you're running on empty, if you feel like you're alone or exhausted, if you feel like you're in over your head, if you feel like you can't sense the Lord's presence right now, you've got to get around other people. You've got to get around other people. And then you'll set an example to others that love within the church is truly a priority to you and not an afterthought. Hey, number one, live in line with the truth. Number two, speak the truth in love. Number three, love others humbly and sacrificially. Number four, write this down, walk by faith. Walk by faith. It says set an example in faith, speech, conduct, love, in faith. When I say faith, I don't mean some mystical emotion like, well, I have enough faith to survive the lion's den as if it's this private, just me and my emotions thing. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Let me tell you what faith is not. Write this down. Walk by faith, not by fear. Not by fear. Uh, What are you most afraid of right now in your life? What are you most afraid of? Is it financial? Is it relational? Physical with your health? Your career? What are you most afraid of right now? Because fear is creating soil conditions in your heart where faith can take deep root or fear can take deep. And whatever it is that's driving you to fear the most, God wants to use to grow and perfect your faith. You've got a chance now to be a model of faith to those around you. You have a chance now before God comes through to speak bold words of faith to those who are listening. Hey, listen, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I believe God is faithful. He promised he'll work it out to good. And I'm trusting what he said. It's your chance now to say that. Or it's your chance to constantly spew out the fear that's, you know, I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know. I mean, God's done some awesome things, but is lightning going to strike again? Is he going to cut fear, 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 fear? Or faith. Walk by faith, not by fear. Write this down. Not by falsehood. Not by falsehood. Sometimes Christians start reciting lies to themselves. Sometimes they find 
poor authors who are saying untrue things to somehow console what's going on in their lives or provide new direction. And they find shady authors who aren't telling people orthodox things and they start feeding themselves lies. Um, Walk by faith, not by falsehood. Christians, we should shoo lies away from our heart like we shoo bees away from our face. As soon as those lies start buzzing around, get out of here! Get, get Instant, violent, sudden reaction. We shouldn't let them land, and we certainly shouldn't let them put the poisonous stinger in our heart. We've got to chase those lies away. Not by fear, not by falsehood. Write this down. Not by foolishness. Not by foolishness. This is always hard when someone starts telling me a God story and then it ends with foolish choices. This happened, this happened, and then we did this. Whoa, 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 back that up, back that up. Yeah, we're going through some really tough times. We don't know how we're going to make it. You know, we keep putting it on the credit card, but God is good. Whoa, whoa, back that up. (laughs) If you're trusting J.P. Morgan to get you through the month, how do you know God is good? If a crippling amount of credit card debt is what's seeing you through right now, how are you even seeing God be the hero? You see, that's foolish, not faithful. And if you want a God story, you have to make it a point to not cross over a threshold of faith while you trust Him. Foolishness is not faith. Sometimes people leap over a cliff and make, you know what, this marriage is ruined, I'm getting out of it because I know God's got something better for me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's foolishness. He's not going to bless it. Yeah, but I'm praying about it and I feel peace. If what you're praying is out of line with God's will, you're not talking to God, you're talking to yourself. That's foolishness, not faith. You can't call it faith when you leap out of God's will. So walk by faith, not fear, not falsehood, not foolishness. Walk by faith. Then you'll be an example to those around you who need to see faith walked out and lived out. So five-star example Role model of godliness, live in line with the truth, speak the truth in love, love others humbly and sacrificially, walk by faith. And the last one, write this down, win the battle with lust. It says here in verse 12, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. In purity. Purity means winning the battle with lust. Uh, Paul would go on to tell Timothy in the next chapter, treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And guys in particular, listen, this is a good time for the Dumbo ears. We've got to win this battle. We've got to win the battle with lust. We've got to win it for our marriage. We've got to win it for our children. We've got to win it for our church. It can be won. In this church, we fight to win these battles. We don't cover things up. We don't hide things. We don't pretend things are okay. We help guys. And I'm telling you, we've got to get to the point where you're winning the battle with lust. Guys are in one of three groups. There are some guys who have given up the fight. They're not even fighting it anymore. They're doing what they're doing. They've messed with their conscience or totally given up and lost hope. And, and the indulgence of lust gets what it wants whenever it wants, and these guys are giving up. I hope that's not you. Then there are some guys who are still in the fight. It's fierce. It's daily. 
They win, they lose, they win, they lose. Sin, repent, repeat. Sin, repent, repeat. But they know it's wrong and they're not giving up yet. And then praise the Lord, there are examples in our church of men who have been living out an extended season of victory over lust. And they give hope to the rest of the men. You can, with the help of other men, you can have your first month of total victory in this area. When's that happened last? You can have your first six months of total victory in this area. A guy came up to me a few weeks ago and told me he just celebrated his first year of victory. Year of victory in this area because he accepted the challenge, was honest with the man he trusted, was held accountable, and now he's walking in victory. If you want to win this battle with lust... How do you go about doing it? Well, yes, you need to change what you do. Yes, you need an internet filter. Yes, you need someone who's checking up on you. Yes, you need your TV protected. Yes, but those are all external things, right? External filters. And if you still want to run to the stuff, you'll find a way to get it because that's external. You also have to change what you think, meaning you have to store up verses that you memorize that you can fire off at the temptation the moment it comes. The Bible doesn't say fight with sexual sin. It says flee from it. Flee to what? Flee to safe ground. You've got to have verses memorized. What did Jesus do when Satan came down to tempt him on earth? Bible verse. Bible verse. Bible verse. And then he ran away. Okay, You've got to put three bullets in that temptation before it might leave you. Do you have those verses stored up in your mind? You've got to change what you think. You also have to change what you believe. There's a lie in the Christian heart that says men who are not believers get to have more sexual pleasure than men who are believers. That's a lie. There's a lie that the men who get to go to the strip clubs, visit the prostitutes, look online at those things, are enjoying more pleasure than me. And therefore, I'm held back from this world of pleasure that other men get to enjoy. That is a lie from hell that you believe. Other men get to enjoy a tic-tac of pleasure and a world of pain that comes with it. And this lust will destroy their own heart in relationship with the Lord, ruin their testimony to other people in the world, destroy their marriage... Their children will see a hypocrite. They're sacrificing so much for a little bit of pleasure. And if you tell yourself the lie that God is holding you back from so much fun that you could be having, you're believing a lie. God is holding you back from a world of pain. And in general, when God gives you a difficult road first, pain first, waiting until marriage, holding off on the porn, keeping away from the videos, the pain of that leads to the pleasure of purity in marriage that lasts a lifetime. Little bit of pain, lifetime of pleasure. That's God's plan. God's plan is temporary pain, lasting pleasure. Satan's plan is temporary pleasure, Lasting pain. 
If you really want to get rid of it, you've got to dig deep down into the root of the lie you're believing and why you feel you deserve this and what you think you're truly getting out of it and how you think this story is going to end. Once that gets cleared up, you'll be a new man. Write this down, though. It takes honesty and accountability. If you truly want to change, you need help. You've got to be honest with the man that you trust. You need to sit down one-on-one and say, hey, listen, I trust you. I feel like I could be honest with you. And I'm going to tell you exactly where I'm at with this. Okay? Um, and, and I want you to hold me accountable so that I can celebrate my first month of victory. I don't want other guys to know. I just want you to know. I want you to help me. And then, and then when you get to one, then you go for six. Then when you get to six, you go for 12. Then you stand in triumph and you enjoy an extended season of victory. Hey, which of these five is really speaking to you this morning? Where, where do you need to grow as an example and role model to others? Is it just in general, those fundamental Christian worship walk work, getting those things in line? Is it your words speaking the truth in love? Is it your relationships, loving others humbly and sacrificially? Is it your faith, not letting fear dig in? Uh, or is it lust and purity and winning that battle? Um, Christ wants to make you a role model. Christ wants you to be a five-star example of those around you showing what he can do in your heart. And please understand, this message is not supposed to be five things I'm doing poorly. These are five areas God wants to transform you so that others can see he's been there and he's done a work in your heart. He wants you to be an example and a role model to other people. And Christ came to make that happen. I'm going to give you a chance right now as we go to the Lord in prayer just to lift up any one of these that really hit you. Lift it up to the Lord. Be honest with Him and ask Him for help in changing grace. Let's pray together. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, we know that You are the only perfect man who's ever lived. You're the only one who came from heaven where You deserve to be in God's presence for eternity because of Your righteousness. You're the only one who walked the earth and won every battle with temptation. You're the only one who surrendered his soul to death on a cross, the innocent dying for the guilty. You're the only one righteous enough to bear up the penalty of humanity. You're the only one who died in our place, who rose again, who now is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, you're the only one who can change us in an instant and give us new life through faith. And we believe that you who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. So Lord, we just swat away all the lies of the enemy that we're condemned, that we'll never change, that we're good for nothing, that we'll never measure up. We swat those lies away. We believe the truth that your fatherly love shows how much you care. Challenge us in these areas to grow our words, our faith, our love, our purity, our life. Right now, speak to us, Lord. Show us what area you truly want to work on. We listen.
We don't want you to be done with us. We don't want the story to be over. We don't want the transformation to be complete. We know you've got more for us. We believe better things are coming. So grow us and purify us. Strengthen us and use us. May our lives serve as an example to those learning to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.